Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special on M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening, speaking with Michael Agger. Hi, Michael. Hello. Who's a culture editor at Slate. So, uh, Michael, you and I just uh, hours ago, an hour ago or so, walked out of a showing of The Happening. Um, Before we even summarize the plot, general reaction, clammy palms, clammy entire body because of the over-air conditioning in the theater? Definitely clammy palms, but also annoyed. Right. Yeah, we were saying it's a, it's a strange sensation of sort of ridicule and boredom mixed together with some kind of legitimate terror or, I don't know, at least a low-level anxiety in my case. Yes, yeah, so Shyamalan's very good at keeping you in suspense for, say, five, seven minutes, and then something so utterly stupid happens that you kind of forget why you were scared. It's strange. He yeah. has a very unique gift. Okay, let's set up the, mm-hmm. a unique gift that also, you know, shoots him in the foot at all times. He's sort of like, he's, he's his fully good and bad self in this movie, I think. So let's, let's set up the movie and then talk about how he's his good and bad self. So what is the happening that, that sweeps through Central Park at the, the beginning of the movie? The movie opens with two women sitting on a bench, and they're having a conversation, and then the, the wind kind of picks up and sweeps through the park and and the one woman repeats what she's saying she keeps repeating it and then she takes a what is it some sort of hairpin out of her yeah hair? it's like a, it's like a chopstick that's holding up her bun or something like that a particularly sharp one yeah particularly sharp one and then proceeds to plunge it into her neck so the happening seems to be this mysterious wind that causes people to kill themselves in the most convenient way possible Right. So, so as soon as you, you hear this wind come up, then suddenly, and by, by the way, everyone, if you didn't get it from the title, we're about to spoil the movie big time. So, uh, <laughs> so don't keep listening if you don't want to know anything about the happening. But all this stuff happens in the first five minutes anyway that we're talking about. So this wave of suicide sweeps New York after we see some you know, creepy scenes of construction workers throwing themselves off buildings. And what are some of the other creative suicides you see at the beginning? I can't remember. Yeah, Maybe they don't get really creative There's so much death. They, all, they, you know, they sort of blur into one. I think the New Yorkers, um, they seem, the New Yorkers seem to be the only people who scratch and claw at themselves, although that's not shown. The construction workers leap off the building, and I think that's it for New York. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Things, things yeah. get really creative later on, and we can talk about yeah. those ones. But then we cut to Philadelphia, which is, of course, Shyamalan's hometown and a place that you know he tends to set his movies, at least in part. And Mark Wahlberg, we join him in the middle of his science class. He's a high school science teacher who's explaining the disappearance of the honeybees, the sudden disappearance of the honeybees from the planet to his, to his students and kind of gathering theories, which is kind of a foreshadowing of, of, of course, the happening that's about to sweep Philadelphia as well. And to make things quick, Mark uh, Wahlberg is in the process of possibly breaking up with his wife, played by Zoe Deschanel. They seem to be having this hard time, but they're forced to bond together as they flee Philadelphia with the daughter of a friend. So it's this this threesome, this sort of thrown-together nuclear family who's trying to, to flee this toxic wind that causes people to kill themselves, right? Anything we need to add to that? Yes, well, yeah. And so Mark Wahlberg, you know, very much like the Bruce Willis character, the kind of down-on-his-luck, slightly loserish white guy. And actually, at this point, there's four of them. There's uh, John Leguizamo. Oh, I forgot John Leguizamo. Yeah, the, he, uh, he's still alive at this moment. And weirdly, they, uh, they have to flee Philadelphia by train, which is first of the many sort of you know, little plot things that kind of you tick off in the back of your mind. Well, well, why don't they have a car? That makes the movie sort of both artificial yet old-fashioned and strangely Well, this is an old-fashioned horror movie also in the sense that it's full of those why don't they just kind of moments. There's so many why don't they just questions that pop up in, in the course of their fairly stupid fleeing of the East Coast toxin. Yes. So anyway, they're on the train leaving Philadelphia, 
and they get out into the countryside, and the train mysteriously stops, and all the passengers have to get off, and they're basically in the middle of nowhere, which is where Shyamalan likes all his movies to happen. But somebody mm-hmm. says comfortably, comfortingly at that mm-hmm. moment as, as the entire train is disembarking in this town called Filbert, Pennsylvania, where you know the whole joke is no one has any idea where it is. Don't worry, this is a small town. Nothing can happen to us here, right? No yeah. horror movie in a small town could ever have any, anything scary around the corner. And I should add at this point that, we, that the ill wind comes through Philadelphia, and we also see many other people kill themselves. And, and it's very low tech. Like the, the, a guy gets out of the car and takes, he kind of freezes and takes three steps backwards and then shoots himself in the head and falls over. And then somewhat hilariously, the gun falls on the street, and then someone else picks up the gun, takes a couple steps, and then shoots themselves in the head and falls over. I have to say that stuff, the sort of gimmicky (laughs) sci-fi angle really (laughs) kind of worked for me. I mean, where Shyamalan gets in trouble is his dialogue. He writes really terrible stilted dialogue to the extent that it's almost hard to tell when somebody has had the toxin affect them because they were already talking like a zombie beforehand. But when he gets these visual ideas, like a gun that everyone who picks it up kills themselves, I mean, it's it's kind of nightmarishly yeah. effective, I find. Yeah, it's kind of like the like the thing you might have thought of like the first week you were in film school, but yet also sort of works as well. And and I like like you, I find the lack of sort of special effects or any sort of CGI trickery is sort of deliberate attempt to be like Hitchcock and like Spielberg, like very actually refreshing. Um, well, this you know, is something yeah. we were discussing immediately yeah. coming out of the movie, which is like, the sh- I don't know if you'd call it the problem, the Shyamalan problem, or just the Shyamalan effect or something, but he, his movies just don't feel like any other movies that are being made right now, which doesn't mean that they're incredibly innovative. I mean, they're throwbacks to it, to an old style of movie making, like you were saying, with very low special effects and very classic scare moments, literally sort of wheeling around as a door slams behind you, you know, or just the scariness of somebody talking and suddenly stopping and repeating themselves over and over like a zombie. It's straight out of Invasion of the Body Snatchers or one of those sort of paranoid epidemic mm-hmm. movies of the 50s. And all of that stuff I find sort of very endearing and effective. So fairly far into the movie, maybe halfway through, Mark Wahlberg, who, as we said, is a science teacher, starts to figure out uh, by a not particularly scientific method, basically by sort of staring off into space till it occurs to him, what the uh, the toxin is that and that's doing this to people, making them kill themselves. At first, it's supposed that it's terrorism, and you hear some sort of talking heads on television talking about that. But then, can you want to talk about what, what Wahlberg comes up with, which turns out to be true? Well, like we keep, at one point, we meet this sort of crazy old man who loves plants and hot dogs. And, and he's sort of the character in th- this movie who tries out all of Sh- Shyamalan's pet theories. And the theory here is that plants communicate with each other and they develop special toxins to resist predators. And that, you know, the theory being is that like the plants are, have somehow decided to sort of get it together to release something to kill humans. and um, so, it, so it winds up being, in a strange way, an environmentalist message, although that's never quite made clear we must save the Earth. I mean, the idea basically is the plants are ganging up on us because we're take, polluting the, the Earth and taking up too much space, and they're just going to make sure that humans do themselves in. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's so all of a sudden, like, every tree is sort of menacing and evil. There's a very <laughs> funny moment we should mention. I wish it had been even milked for, for more laughs cause, because it was great. But shortly after they figure out that this is, you know, or start to, to surmise that this is this plant-created toxin, there's a moment that the little girl, the little 8-year-old who's running away with, with Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel, gets on a swing that's attached to a maple tree. And you see the screws sort of squeaking that attach the swing to the tree. And you start to suspect that this individual tree is going to get mad that he's being swung on and kill the little girl. But he doesn't. 
Yeah, it's like don't so any like there's all these shots of like plants like getting injured or sort of brushed against and the high point of the moment movie for me was when Mark Wahlberg actually has this soliloquy with a tree and he's apologizing to the tree and then it turns out that the tree is is actually plastic so there was no need to worry. So one of the things that Mark Wahlberg sort of deduces is that the plants seem to attack humans in large groups. So it's like everyone has to split up into smaller and smaller groups so the toxin doesn't come and get you and you all kill yourself. And which leads to the probably the most unintentionally hilarious scene in the in the movie, which is that these two groups of people come together near a house and the toxin toxic wind blows over them. And one man proceeds to turn on this large tractor mower and then lie down in front of it as though he were lying down in front of a tank or something, and it mauls his body. And Dana, as you can recall, like the whole movie is full of these sort of gratuitously grisly tableaus. Well, what's very funny is yeah. that you know the, the, the imagination of this this toxin that makes you kill yourself by any means necessary, basically by the first possible tool for suicide that you see, of course also allows Shyamalan to have his first R-rated movie, by the way, and to imagine all kinds of strange and gory deaths. I think that the throwing yourself in front of a thresher or lawnmower was one of the good ones. But then we also both loved the lion cage, remember? Oh, yeah. So the lion, the guy in the lion cage, like the zookeeper, decides to just kind of like stick his arm Near, Essentially near offer his arm to the lion for lunch. And there's a, just a very funny shot reminiscent of, of Monty Python and the Holy Grail where the guy, you know, has his, his arm stump spouting blood as he's offering his other arm to a different tiger, a different lion. It's great. So anyway, Marky Mark and Zoe Deschanel and the kind of mute Benetton-esque, model-esque um, child, eight, prop. Eight, child prop, you know, end up in this deserted farmhouse with this kooky old lady a great a great performance by betty buckley i thought as the crazy old lady classic classic crazy old lady living in a sort of rundown isolated farmhouse with creepy dolls on the beds so let's wrap up with the twist since m night Shyamalan is known for his his gimmicky twist endings i don't know that he's made a movie that i've seen that, that didn't have some sort of pulling out the rug at the end and so you know everybody's going to want to know what's the twist in this movie I, I do think that it has a very strange and surprising ending but not because it's a twist yes i'm here to tell you that the twist of the happening is there is no twist. So we find the our nuclear family isolated at Betty Buckley's farmhouse. She's already dispatched herself by a particularly grotesque and absurd means. And they're separated. They're in two different houses, right? Because there's this whole thing of breaking up into smaller groups or whatever. At this point, we've actually got Mark Wahlberg in the main house and Zoe Deschanel and the, the mute child prop in this back house. But as it happens, because this is an old Virginia farmhouse, the, the back house has this sort of speaking tube, they call it, that connects the two together. And it used to be a place, I don't know, according to the crazy lady Betty Buckley, where slaves were hidden on their trip up north and they would hide back in this house. So that's where the woman and the little girl are. And they're speaking to each other, locked into these houses, knowing at this point we're supposed to believe that the wind blowing between the two houses will make them all kill themselves. But they then decide. Want to take it, Mike? Well, since they're going to die, they might as well be together. So they have this sort of beautiful, long, drawn-out moment where they both leave their respective hiding places and come together in the field and clasp hands and and of course your imagination's running wild are they all going to strangle each other or you know how can they possibly kill each other but and it's been set up at this point basically that there's they're they're goners right there's yeah. no way that this wind can blow past them and they're not going to all kill themselves so but, I actually, for a moment, briefly fantasized that there'd be some sort of nihilistic group suicide ending, and that would be the twist, which would be pretty damn dark. But, but of course, that's not what happens. It, it turns out that the, this is kind of the last hurrah of the toxic wind. It, it 
it zooms by them and then that's the end. So, you know, lucky for them, they just kind of they came out at the last moment. I found that ending supremely unsatisfying because the entire mm-hmm. rules of the movie, you know, all, you've, we've worked so hard to figure out how what this thing is, how it works, what are the rules by which it's going to make people kill themselves. And they don't do anything to thwart those rules or, or figure them out or prevent anything. They just happen to be walking through this field at the moment that the event, quote, crests in the, in the scientific pseudo language of the movie. And, you know, it becomes a non-toxic wind, which to me just seems like an extremely wan, limping conclusion of an ending. But, of course, Shyamalan movies always end twice. So the uh, the final scene is we're in the, uh, the Jardin du Luxembourg in Paris, and you guessed it, the, the wind starts blowing again. And it looks like France is going to think of creative ways to kill themselves. <laughs> next. So in the in the end, I guess you could say, and again, it, it's very 50 sci-fi at the end, right? It's over, or is it? And, you know, the thing sort of peaks up again, and, and you know there's going to be one last hurrah for the Earth, and, and then it's all over. So I would say as an environmentalist movie, if that's what it is, it's a pretty grim ending, right? I mean, the idea is going to be this will keep cropping up all over the Earth until, you know, the majority of humanity has dispatched itself. And there you have it. All right. I mean, it's a movie about an unexplained natural event, but I think we have to accept that the director himself is an unexplained natural event. I think that's the takeaway. And and, and like the happening, he will crop up yet again. <laughs> yet again. In some other form. In some other form. All right. Well, mm-hmm. um, Michael, thanks a lot for seeing The Happening with me, and uh, thanks for joining me on this late spoiler special. It was great. Thanks. <laughs> For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.